0: Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We're your hosts, Kathy and Karen. Today, we will discuss episode 50 and part 1 of episode 51 of The Story of Minglan, or 知否知否应是绿飞红兽? this podcast is in english with proper nouns and certain chinese phrases spoken in mandarin chinese if you have any questions please reach out to us on instagram or twitter at chasing dramas or else email us at karen and kathy at chasingdramas.com. please also leave us a rating on whatever platform you listen to us to we will start off our podcast episode with the episode or the drum episode recap, then go on to uh, some character analysis, historical analysis, and then close off with some book differences. In the last episode, Ming Lan and Gu Tingye were conferred titles of aristocracy. Following, a haunt from the past suddenly appears. I'm not going to lie, this storyline is one of my least favorite storylines in the drama, and so I am a little selfish in lumping this together so that we can move on a little bit more quickly, but I do think it is worth going over uh, what the wider conspiracy is. Plus, as we discuss later, the actress for Man Young's uh, voice. I just cannot stand for much of this these two episodes, so I just want to get over with. <laughs> Zhu Menyang, Gu Tingye's former mistress and mother of his two children, randomly shows up in front of him. She's still holding Gu Tingye's only son, Cheng er hostage. Desperate to find his son, Gu Tingye agrees to a quote-unquote, spend the night with Manyang to have her divulge his son's whereabouts. When it looks like Yang won't tell him anything, though, Gu Tingye coldly shuns her. manyang however, has other plans and straight-up just stabs Gu Tingye, shouting that their son Chang'er has died. That is where we start the episode. Gu Tingye is back in his rooms all bandaged up. Ming comes in a tearful state and blames herself for his injuries. She says she should have thought to check Yang for weapons. Gu Tingye waves it off because no one could have prevented Yang from doing anything she wants. To him, she's evil and manipulative, and it's in her nature. Even though Gu Tingye shares what Yang screamed about his son, he doesn't believe that his son is dead. He thinks that it's just another scheme or a plot to uh, get more money out of him. After Gu Tingye is fit to walk again, they go see Manyang once more. She has been thrown in a shed, and Gu Tingye and Minglan interrogate her further. Yang in her mad craze, continues to cry that their son is dead, and it's all Gu Tingye's fault. I'll say this throughout the episode, but the actress from Manyang does a splendid job in these next two episodes. She plays a mad, screaming, wronged, but still manipulative woman very well. Enraged, Gu Tingye orders his servants to tie Manyang up and prepare to torture her for information. But luckily, Minglan drags him outside to cool his head. And this is Minglan's primary value add to Gu Tingye. She calmly explains that under these circumstances, after a whip or two, Yang may just die. But isn't it odd that after years of searching, Yang just suddenly appears and right when next door, aka Madame Qin, is around specifically to see Yang enter the premises? If anything happens to Yang, Madame Qin is bound to latch on to this mistake and cause chaos for the family. Ming Lan then analyzes the larger implications of what would happen if Gu Tingye does torture Yang. The new government is still in its nascent phases. The Empress Dowager is looking for any and every excuse to create chasms in the new emperor's court. This would provide the perfect ammunition for the Empress Dowager. Gu Tingye is still not appeased. Banyan tried to murder him. That is like a crime punishable by beheading. Isn't she worried about that? Why can't they send her to court? Minglan urges him to reconsider this too. Apparently, this crime must be publicly documented. If done so, his daughter, Rangar's marriage and future prospects are going to be ruined for having this type of mother. Minibug. Guthier says that he's a 3rd rank official here. Last episode, we discussed that his new title of Jin Guanglu Da Fu is actually a lower second rank. Ha, I'm very happy that I did my research here. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Since it seems like all options of punishing Man Yang are currently exhausted, Gu Tingye finally calms down, though he's still furious. Their next course of action is to search the capital for traces of why this woman showed up and what larger plots there may be. And indeed, what these larger plots are, the search proves fruitful as I think it seems they captured the uh, Bai cousin or the older Bai relative who connected with Madame Tin in the last episode. I say I think because they never fully explain this in the drama and I think it's just the one or two second shots is of this person being dragged back. Back at the Cheng Garden, Gu Tingye recounts to Minglan the full extent of the plot that was uncovered. Shortly after Mannyang escaped with her son and Gu Tingye's son, she was noticed by the Bai family. Since she could not forego the wealth and riches that the Bai family was offering her, she agreed to work with them to help kill Gu Tingye. Once Gu Tingye is killed, because Minglan has no sons, the only heir to the family will be Mannyang's son, Chang'er. At that point, the Bai family can use Cheng Er as a puppet to control the entire Bai family wealth. Minglan points out that Gu Tingye has a will, even though it's blank, but the Bai family doesn't know that. Gu Tingye further explains that that is why the Bai family connected with Madame Qin. After Gu Tingye's passing, Madame Qin will step forward to say Gu Tingye's will is ineffective, and push Chang as the heir. In exchange, the Bai family will publicly state that because Chang is too young to help with court matters, they will allow Gu Ting Wei, Gu Ting ye's, younger brother, and Madame Qin's son to inherit the title of Marquis. With this, the Bai family gets what they want, money. And Madame Qin gets what she wants, the title of Marquis for her son. This is a rather ingenious plot if you think about it. As Gu Tingye points out, the entire scheme revolves around Chang'er being alive, which gives him hope that Yang was lying. Unfortunately, after another search of even the Bai family, where their boats and salt were extorted, there still isn't news of Chang'er's whereabouts. In this drama, there have been plenty of parents who have thought long and hard about their children's futures. Sadly, we now see a prime example of a woman who cares very little of her children and focuses only on herself and the riches she thinks she should have earned. One night, hoping that her mother will listen, the kind-hearted wronger, so the uh, older child of Mannyang, goes to the shed to see where her mother is currently locked up to see if she can talk some sons into her mother. In Ronger's mind, her mother loves her deeply. Little does she know, Yang continues to scream the story that Chang'er is dead. As Ronger presses her further to share where Chang'er may be, Yang actually tries to strangle Ronger. She screams that if Ronger wants to see her brother, then she will have to go to hell to see him. What kind of mother does that? She is so mentally unstable that she is willing to kill her daughter. Manyang is upset that her daughter languished in lavish wealth at the Marquis Manor while they, Man Yang, and Chang'er were out on the road in poverty, which she cannot accept. Luckily, Ming Lan and company barged in to save Rong'er from her mother. Gu Tingye is again furious, but Ming Lan was able to push him back. She turns to Yang and roundly chastises her again, this time for her poor act as a mother. If she truly cared about her son, she would have left him in the Marquis Manor. After all, he is still the eldest son of the son of a Marquis or now a Marquis. No matter how poor his life would have been, it would have been much better than what he is currently experiencing. Or else, Manyang should have found him a tutor to teach him. Has she done any of that? No. She has hidden him away for years, and now he's lagging behind in life because of her actions. What will his life be like in 10 or 20 years? If she truly cared about him, she should think about his future and not use her children as tools for her own benefit, which she clearly has been doing. After Ming Minglan turns to leave, though, Yang screams after her to find him in hell. Minglan pauses as this may ultimately be the truth that Gu Tingye refuses to accept. Minglan comes up with a plan to help Gu Tingye find his son, and that is to simply let Yang go. The only person she can possibly rely on to care for her son, Yang, that is, is her brother, and she will most likely go see him after a while, especially if she doesn't have a place to stay in the capital. The background acting here is great. Can you all uh, please notice Xiao Tao dozing off in the background? She's like, oh my God, it's been such a long night. She suddenly wakes up when Gu Tingye picks Minglan up and in an embrace. <laughs> Xiao Tao, please don't change. She's so cute. And so Gu Tingye kicks Niang out of the house but is very careful not to hurt her in any way. He orders his servants to strip her of any valuables and not allow her to eat or sleep anywhere in the capital. The aim is to push her out to see her son so that they can follow her. The scenes where she's out on the street are both infuriatingly annoying, but comical and also pretty sad. Her screeches are very grating, but her flapping arms and annoyed countenance, as she's being barred from every opportunity to eat or find a place to sleep, is rather satisfying. But this woman is not to be underestimated. Starting in episode 51, which is the next morning, she starts screaming in the streets about how Gu is a cold-hearted man. He threw her out and killed her son. All words, she's twisted for her own benefit, but which benefits her narrative. Now the entire capital knows about this and is gossiping about Gu Tingye's poor behavior. With this narrative, Gu Tingye and company can no longer push her out of the capital because then it would seem as though they're kicking her out only because the story is true. The scandal grows so big that it escalates up to court and none other than Qi Hong brings it up in front of the emperor and Empress Dowager, in front of the entire court. He states that Gu Tingye has acted without propriety and is extremely critical of Gu Tingye's actions. The emperor does not publicly admonish Gu Tingye, but privately yells at him for causing such a mess. His personal affairs should not have a place at court, especially now with so many things they need to resolve. Luckily, Gu Tingye's good friend, Prince Huan, steps in to explain that it's only Qi Heng's word against Gu Tingye's at the moment. The other Yangguan Guan, or ministers, who heard of this scandal didn't have much to say after seeing Gu Tingye's stab wound from Manyang's murder attempt. Once the emperor hears of the stab wound, he also calms down a little as well, and after a little bit more appeasement, waves off both Gu Tingye and Prince Huan. The pressing matter at the moment is to go see Qi Heng. He's the only one causing trouble for Gu Tingye, and so it makes sense to explain the specifics of what's going on so Qi Hong can retract his criticism or at least calm down in court. Can we just say that uh sure in this drama or in these two episodes, Man Yang is really annoying, but I also want to slap Ti Hong across the face right now. Like, seriously, the entire world can see that you are using your personal power or your power and position at court to enact personal revenge. One evening, when Gu Tingye goes to see Ti Hong, Ti Hong is rather cold towards Gu Tingye. And Gu Tingye calls Qi Hung out on it. Even if Qi Hong complains about Gu Tingye and leads him to lose his title and court position, Minglan already married him. There's no turning back. Everything Qi Hong is currently doing is actually making it worse for Minglan. Has he thought about that? Mm, no. Qi Hung's like, why would I bring up? Why would you bring up uh, your nai which means your your family in issues at court? Which uh, we all know the only reason why he's being antagonistic towards Gu Tingye is because of Ming Minglan. For Hong, it really does all come down to his personal vendetta. He thinks that because he trusted Gu Tingye with his personal feelings about Minglan and even asked him to bring his items to Minglan, that there would be a better ending. But what happened? What was his ending? He does not want the emperor to misplace his trust in a man like Gu Tingye. <sighs> what a great way to hide behind your cowardice. And <laughs> Gu Tingye responds with exactly that. If he were Ti Hong and liked a girl, he would propose marriage the very next day. But Ti Hong didn't do that. He waited and waited for years until he was forced into his first marriage. Gu Tingye gave Ti Hong every opportunity to pursue his happiness, and even offered Ti Hong to help. But Ti Hong didn't accept Gu Tingye's help. So there's really no one to blame except for himself. And this isn't a conversation we are learning for the first time. We've had this conversation like at least one more time already. So this is just Gu, uh, Gu Tingye trying to beat this, I guess, information into Hung's head and Hung just is not willing to accept it. Yeah. When I watched this scene, in my mind, I was like, didn't we have this conversation like literally before? (laughs) Like right when they're about to get married? Yes. Well, after Gu Tingye walks away, Hung tearfully shouts after him that everything he's doing is for the country and court, not for his personal reasons. He even has to repeat his last, this last line to himself to fool himself into believing that it's not for personal reasons. All I can say is, the more we see of Qi Hong, the more grateful I am that Mila did not marry him. Although he is a very good-looking guy. <laughs> Outside, Gu Tingye hears the news that Yang has headed off to a cemetery. Gu Tingye is in disbelief. But after discussing with Milan, the pair with a group of servants head off to find Manyang. It is there that we see Manyang was telling the truth all along. She is burning paper money in front of a mound of dirt. It's really quite a sad state because her son doesn't even have a proper tombstone. Just a mound of dirt with a rock on top. This speaks to how poor Manyang must have been when burying her son. We find out, as she's talking to his burial ground, that he passed away due to illness. Interestingly, the person he cried out to on his deathbed was his sister, not his mother. That tells me how little his mother actually cared for him. Gu Tingye and company arrive shortly after. He is furious to see the scene and pushes Yang away, while she still laughs maniacally. In what is one of the most satisfying actions in the entire drama, at least in my mind, Ming Lan slaps Yang across the face in order to force her to shut up, while Gu Tingye shouts at his servants to dig. He cannot believe that his son is dead, but he has to face the truth once he sees the bones. He turns to Mannyang and coldly states that she will never ever see Rongjie ever again or for having his servants drag her away from the capital. The scene ends with Gu Tingye crying in despair at finding out the truth, with Milan trying to comfort him. We'll stop the recap there. It is heartbreaking that Gu Tingye discovered his son has been long deceased, but I am actually more intrigued by Madame Qin. I purposefully ignored scenes with her until now because I want to discuss them in more detail. She placed Yang in the Gu family specifically to wreak havoc. She thought that per Gu Tingye's nature, the actions of Yang would incite him to torture her, which would create many opportunities to ruin Gu Tingye's reputation and strip him of his title. Unfortunately for Madame Qin, Gu Tingye married Ming Lan, who is indeed his strategic advisor. As Madame Qin laments, Minglan prevented Gu Tingye from making any mistake that could be used as a weapon against him. Qin Da Niangzi is rather annoyed because she could see the strength in this marriage. Minglan helps defend him while he helps her attack. Qin Da Niangzi or Madame Qin needs to crack this marriage in order to destroy Gu Tingye. The other notable piece of information we learn is that Madame Tin knows the Empress Dowager is now potentially on her side. The news of Gu Tingye being berated by the Emperor reached Madame Tin's ears rather quickly. It came from her son, who heard it from a eunuch that is loyal to the Empress Dowager. Why did this news come so quickly? That is the intriguing part to Madame Tin. She realizes that there is potentially a connection between her and the Empress Dowager, and so Madame Tin now has an ally in her quest to bring down Gu Tingye. These two episodes closes out. I would say ninety five percent of Man Yang's story. So let's give a round of applause as I think the actress Li Xiao did a phenomenal job. We'll see Yang at the very end of the drama, but I'm sure we'll be wrapping up so many other things that we won't be talking about Mannyang um, then. From the outwardly loving concubine, to the scheming woman, to the finally destitute mother in the end, Li Xiao portrayed Yang with a lot of depth. The actress had to portray her in a way in which we as the audience Understood why Gu Tingye was so taken with her in the beginning. Her acting is very different from, let's say, the actress for Lin Xiangyang, or Mistress Lin, and both to great effect, as their uh, targets also require different tactics. tactics. Yeah, Li Xiao, the actress, has been in many dramas over the years, but mainly as side characters. So you'll see her pop up here and there, including Ratan from. 2021, or this year. Or Sitheng. I really like that drama. Go watch it if you haven't. It's fantastic. Li Xiao, the actress, was actually trained as a Chinese opera singer. So the two seconds that you see Man Yang trying to sing opera in episode 50 are all her. We'll miss her acting, but good riddance for Man Yang as a character. I would say uh, a mini boss has been dispatched here, but... She will pop up at the very end. To me, the character of Nyang is a very interesting one. She's a reminder to the reader and the viewer that Cinderella stories are really few and far between, and that society typically works against women. She always wanted to become Gu Tingye's wife, even though time and again, he told her that she will never be his wife. She will ever only be a concubine to him. Gu Tingye constantly says that Yang was too greedy after finding out about her true intentions. To him, it's true. In his mind, he has done everything for her except marry her. He had children with her, gave her money, and went so far as to go against his family for her. What more could she want? For her, though, she played the long game and wanted the title of his wife and schemed half her life for it. In the end though, it's quite sad that Gu Tingye never once thought of marrying Niang because he didn't think that she was worth the title of his wife. She was just a lowly artist with no background. Gu Tingye even said, "I liked her, but never loved her, and she wasn't fit to be my wife." In the story of Ju Fo, or this story, the person who fulfilled the Cinderella story is actually Minglan. The important part to me really shows the uh i guess the destitute nature of man because she fully used her children gu tingye is showed to be shown to be a much better father because he is doing everything he can to bring his son home alive but Yang, clearly even after the death of her son was using him in order to secure wealth and riches or at least a comfortable life with a Bai family. That's why she agreed to scheme with them in order to kill Gu Tingye. It's also despicable because she does not think that she has done anything wrong. She believes that she deserves wealth and riches and the fact that Gu Tingye kicked her out was all Gu Tingye's fault if we recall, she was the one selling valuables of Gu Tingye's once he or once she heard he was being kicked out of the family. And he wasn't the one to force her to take her son away. She did that all on her own. And so it's sad to me to see this type of character, but it's really humanizing to see someone like this in a drama um, such as the story of Milan. We have seen a slew of characters that are truly despicable or shameless, but that brings a level of realness to the drama that I think is oftentimes overlooked in other historical Chinese dramas. Alright, let's talk about some history. There's not a whole lot in terms of historical analysis today, but we do have three to discuss. The first is a poem that Xianjian, so Gu Tingyu or Gu Tingye's older brother's daughter, recites for Madame Qin in episode 50. She recites, 世世漫随流水, 算来一梦浮生。This is a poem written by Li Yu, the third ruler of the Southern Tang Dynasty and lived between 937 AD to 978 AD. His kingdom was overthrown by none other than Zhao Kuangyin, the leader of the Song Dynasty in 974 AD. Baike and Wikipedia have different years of when his kingdom was overthrown. One says 974 and one says 976. I'll go with the former. This Li Yu wasn't a great ruler, but he was a great poet. Many of his poems are still recited today, including Chang Xiang Si, which I would say is one of my more preferred poems. This poem here... Uh, with a title that roughly translates to The Midnight Cry, or Wu Ye Ti, was written in 975 AD as he was lamenting his own kingdom of days gone by. The lines roughly translate to, Time passes like the waters of a flowing river. In the end, it will be not but a dream. The wealth and splendor of years past will never come back. The roads back home are flat and easy to get to when I'm drunk. Otherwise, how will I ever get back? This poem is overall a sad story of days past, and it really doesn't make sense for Sianjir to be reciting this type of poem because she is just a child. Uh, it's. I mean, I think it's maybe because her mother is the one who's lamenting about the past and telling Sianjir to recite this, but... Madame Tien, even in that scene was like, we shouldn't say this type of poem because it's very, very uh, depressing. So next up is this idiom or this phrase that Milan says called hui," which means dust has fallen onto the tofu. This is in reference to a tough situation because there's dirt on the tofu, but you can't actually touch it or swap it away because then you'll break the tofu. Or in this case, it's manyang. I've never actually heard the phrase used before, but it's pretty apt in this case because they can't hurt manyang or else um she will break. And after doing a little bit of research, I don't think it's actually like a historical reference. I think it's just being used now. So I mean it's fine. It's a fun um idiom, and I guess I'll be using it. Moving forward uh, in my day to day life, if there's a situation where I'm like, oh no, I can't touch it at all. <laughs> all right, the last one is Cha Zi Yan Hong. These are the few words that Men Yang actually starts to sing when she's trying to find a place to stay for the night. She tells the innkeeper that she knows how to sing opera and begins to sing these words. Again, a great way to insert Li Xiao, the actress's actual talent for singing opera, because when she begins to sing, you can tell she knows what she's doing. The phrase Cha Zi yan Hong refers to all of the beautiful flowers that are blooming at once. This is actually an anachronism, as the opera where the phrase originates from was first written during the Ming Dynasty. Again, we're in the Song dynasty, so the opera was written almost 400 years after the events of this drama, or well, actually 500 years. The opera itself is called Mu Dan Ting, or the Peony Pavilion, written by Tang Xianzu in the late 16th century and first published in 1617. The phrase in the opera itself is sung as a mistu is in awe of the flowers blooming in her garden, but is saddened that they are stuck in the garden with only the wall as a partner. Mu Ting or the Peony Pavilion, is a famous opera that is actually regularly performed today. So if you go on YouTube or search, there are uh, full versions of the opera still being performed. Okay... That is all for the historical analysis. Let us move on to some book differences. The drama's treatment towards Mannyang is quite different from the book. This drama, despite being 70-plus episodes long, trims a lot of fat from the story and focuses squarely on Minglan and Gu Tingye's storyline. And so I believe the screenwriters wanted to finish this storyline in these episodes. But Mannyang's storyline in the book doesn't wrap up until the very end. I'm going to spoil a little bit of the book slash drama, so I recommend skipping this section if you don't want the drama to be spoiled. Let me give an overview of what happens in the book. As I mentioned in the previous episode, over the years, Gu Tingye actually always had tabs on Mengyang and his son Chang'er in the book. Manyang decided to ditch Rongjie at the Gu Manor and raise her son Chang'er on her own several years before Minglan marries in, which is similar to the, to the drama. Her reasoning is that her son is more valuable to her and to Gu Tingye, which in the patriarchal society isn't false. She left Rongjie at the Gu Manor to create a thorn in whoever's the new madam's side. As a reminder that Gu Tingye already has a daughter during the years where he was struggling Gu Tingye always still kept tabs on uh, them and sent money whenever he could once he returned back to the capital as one of the emperor's trusted advisors and generals he asked Yang if she wanted to part with her son and have him be raised by Gu Tingye she could then remarry if she wanted Chang'er of course would have a lot of wealth under his name Manyang, though, refused on all counts and adamantly stated that she wanted to keep Chang'er by her side. To this, Gu Tingye agreed. Mother and son lived outside of the capital, always under the watchful eye of Gu Tingye. And it wasn't until Madame Qin had another vile plan, did Madame Qin sneak them back into the capital. When Man Yang returns, she returns with her son in tow and basically causes Minglan to go into labor, who at this point is heavily pregnant. Man Yang and Madame Qin scheme to have Chang'er become Gu Tingye's legitimate heir, and they fail in this attempt. The scheme is very different from what is in the drama. It involves many other characters, so I won't uh, recount it here. Yang is caught and sent away with her son. Gu Tingye, to either his credit or I guess pressures of society, never once thought of placing his son Chonger in the Gu family genealogy. Now, I don't think it's mentioned in the drama, but it's very clear in the book that Chonger is not in the family genealogy. For Gu Tingye, this was to protect his future sons, or Dizi or sons born from the main wife. He knew full well of the dangers of having an eldest son as a shu zi, especially with a mother like Manyang, and preemptively dashed all of Manyang's hopes for seizing power in his household. With Chang'e er not on the family genealogy, he has no claim to any of Gu Tingye's wealth or titles. The poor boy, despite the money from his father, is basically squandered by his mother who refuses to give him an education. Man Yang and Changer are sent away after um, the whole debacle with Minglan, and they're mentioned again towards the end of the book. Man Yang decides to drag her son in the dead of winter to find Gu Tingye, who was away on the battlefield. The journey ultimately cost Changer his life as he fell ill and died shortly after. Man Yang, after hearing of this, goes insane. And that is the rest of her story in the book. We won't see much more of Man Yang in the drama. She will show up. But as I said, she's a fascinating character. If Gu Tingye was the same gullible man as before, he probably would have fallen for her wiles. He had the clear mind to marry Sheng Minglan, who has put him on, I guess, the right path. I appreciate the fact that he owns up to his mistake. But it really pains me that, yes, it was a fact of life that women couldn't hope for much more than a concubine. I personally didn't like how Gu Tingye in the drama kept calling her Fu or an evil woman. I mean, she was, but hey, can you show her a little bit more respect? Anyways, I guess the show wanted to just finish this storyline with Man Yang and tie it as much as possible to the book in which Chang'er ultimately dies. So... Um, that is what we see here, and this storyline has moved forward many, many episodes or many chapters up from what happens in the book. Last point, in the book, the young Duke, Tihong, Hung, plays no part in any of this family drama. He has no idea what's happening here. Well, that is it for today. Thank you all so much for listening. As a reminder, if you haven't already, check out our website for the latest drama reviews. We are going to spend the holiday period doing a little bit more and putting more on our website. So if you are struggling to find dramas to watch, uh, please let us know. Um, If you're looking for sites to watch dramas and you're in the US. You can always head on over to Jubao TV. It is a free service that has a selection of Chinese dramas and movies to watch, and you can stream it on the website Jumo, X-U-M-O, or else access it on TV if you have Xfinity or Cox Contour. Again, all of that on Jubao TV is free. The music you heard is the Zither piece called Lan with sheet music by Bing Jiu Won Yo Jun and played by me. Hope everyone is having a great holiday season and we will catch you in the next episode.